Back in the 80s and 90s, successful stand-up comedians were given their own shows. Actually, that still happens today. So when a sitcom was developed for George Carlin, arguably one of the greatest stand-ups of all time, clearly this show was going to be a big deal. Clearly, it was going to be a hit, right? Bryn, Aaron, and Barry hop in a cab, head down Broadway Avenue to the Moylan Tavern, grab a seat at the bar, and try to sort out why the taps ran dry on The George Carlin Show. So welcome to Season 3 of That Was a Show. <laughs> we grew up during peak sitcom, Seinfeld, Friends, The Fresh Prince, but those shows were diamonds in the rough. This podcast is not about those diamonds. It's about the rough. Some sitcoms were briefly popular in their time. Some were canceled almost immediately. You probably won't recognize most of these, and you'll ask, that was a show? That was a show? The podcast about failed or forgotten sitcoms from the 80s and 90s, starring... Bryn Burney, Aaron Yeager, and Andrew Helmer as Barry. A Radio Gizmo production. <laughs> Welcome back for season three, guys. Woohoo! Season Hello. three. Hey, we did it. Hey, everybody out there. We did it. It's nice to be talking to you again. Yeah. How's everyone's January going? I mean, uh, well, you know uh, pretty much how mine is going. I'm pretending for the sake of this conversation okay. that I don't. Well, that was it's just seamless, seamless <laughs> stuff. How's <laughs> how's your January going, Barry? Yeah, you know, January's a shit month, and yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I I can't sugarcoat that. I can't pretend like it's been an awesome time, and it also just feels like it's been like ten thousand years long. So yeah, uh, bring on February. Yeah. Bring on that short little month that kind of breaks up the winter a little bit, you know? Yeah, marks the impending end of winter. Yeah, yeah. And by the time you're listening to us talk about this, we're already like knee deep in February, so... Yeah. So all yeah. of this is irrelevant right now. Completely. But, <laughs> but uh, we had a nice yeah. holidays. Yeah, and... so all this relatable January content yeah. just will just fall on deaf ears. Yeah. Dark. Miserable January. Yeah. Almost over. Um, well, we hope everyone out there had a wonderful holiday season and that it was restful and renewing and all of that. Yes, we had a very... Business. Uh, wait, 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 no. Uh, let's, let's cover our asses here. I hope your Valentine's Day yesterday was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah, hope Definitely. you got hit by Cupid's arrow and, you know. It's a violent, violent flying child. It, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, one thing that I'm curious of, since we've had a bit of an extended break between seasons of our show, and I know that all three of us are prone to binging on television, what's everyone's favorite show that's on TV right now that you've been watching? Uh, favorite show right now? I'm yeah, that's well. You 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 were all over the White Lotus. Oh yeah, obviously. Like I was on that train. Like I loved White Lotus season two. It's a freaking masterpiece. As soon as you know, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, what else did I watch? We both um, really enjoyed the bear. Yeah, the bear was kick ass. 
as well. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Uh, what about what about you, Andrew slash Barry? Well, this is you know this might come as a surprise to some of our listeners is that uh, I I actually am not a huge TV binger anymore. I I'm I'm like. I've really fallen by the wayside on getting through stuff and everything I watch has is I'm behind. I'm always behind. So the most recent two shows that I made my myself uh, are that I made my way through is I've been rewatching Hannibal and I'm like, I'm 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 almost at the end of Hannibal season two. So I got one more season left uh, and Andor. Andor was like my favorite show of last year. So that those are the only two things I need mm-hmm. to watch more. And, you know, I'm always got my other stuff, but they're not really binging. You know, yeah. I, you know, I'm always constant on Bob's Burgers because Bob's mm-hmm. Burgers is the best. <laughs> I just oh, yeah, I guess I have a lot of shows like I'm I'm trying to like remember because it's all like a blur. But yeah, obviously, White Lotus, too. Uh, I watched um, F- a friend of the family, which was pretty dark. Uh, and very unpleasant to want to see Jake Lacey play a villain again, uh, because he was kind of a villain in White Lotus season one, and then he plays like a very awful, horrible character and uh, friend of a fan of the family, and I just like to think of him as Plop. So, oh, the name was familiar. It took me a second. Yeah, I like he'll always be Plop to me, so <laughs> I can't, you know. I uh, can't I don't like to think of him any other way. Uh, what else did I binge? I, I can't help but notice that everything we're listing is basically a drama. Um, I know it's been a lot I, of drama. I'm going to give a shout out to a White little Lotus is a is it's a comedic. Com- it's a dramedy. Yeah. It's, it's a dramedy. Yeah. I'm going to give a shout out to one show that I just discovered and I'm only one episode into it. But if either of you remember an animated show from a while ago called The Life and Times of Tim. Only because you've mentioned it yeah. uh, periodically. Yep. Which I saw years ago and always thought was a pretty funny style. Uh, I just discovered a new show. It may There may only be one season of it by the same creator. And it's called 10-Year-Old Tom. And it's basically the same style, but a kid in school. And, it's a good title. Uh, it's very funny. Very dry. <laughs> it's a good title. Well, next next episode, I'll, I'll, I'll come prepared with a little bit more. Because I know I watched... Just like Bryn, I watched it, but like I'm struggling to remember. It's like that Men in Black thing where I will finish a show and it's like somebody wipes my memory. It's like I watch it, I finish it, I binge because I'm such a completionist and I get a little bit addicted. And because streaming platforms just make it so easy for you to like binge that way, it's just, yeah, it's very problematic. Like I I also watch The Watcher. I uh, like all of it. And I watched um, Fleischman is in trouble, which was phenomenal and highly recommend that. And anyone who starts that show and thinks it's only about one thing, it's actually not about that one thing. It's incredible. So stick with it. Watch the whole thing. Don't get frustrated. (laughs) I almost got frustrated and stopped watching, but it was well worth pushing through. Uh, yeah. So, I don't know. So, speaking of shows that you would like to wipe your memory of after you've seen yeah. them, <laughs> let's uh, get into our season premiere show. Yeah, the George Carlin show. Yeah, 
Who wants to hear about that? I do, I do. Yeah, go for it, Aaron. All right, here we go. We're opening season three with a bang. The George Carlin Show, starring the late, great, you guessed it, George Carlin. The George Carlin Show is created by the aforementioned comedian and Sam Simon, best known as co-creator of The Simpsons. It aired on Fox, which definitely makes sense, from January 1994 to July 1995, lasting a total of 27 episodes. The show is about a rough-around-the-edges New York City taxi driver named George O'Grady, played by Carlin. When he's not driving his cab, he spends the vast majority of his time holding court in a local pub called the Moylan Tavern, named for an actual bar on Broadway that apparently Carlin frequented in his younger days. Other key players populating the bar include its owner and main bartender, Jack Donahue, played by Anthony Stark, Sidney Paris, a waitress at the bar who is also an aspiring model and actress, played by Paige French, George's best friend, apparent mobster, and fellow scumbag, Harry Rossetti, <laughs> played by Twas All-Star, Alex Rocco, <laughs> Frank McNamara, another bar fly, played by sitcom mainstay Mike Haggerty, and finally, Dr. Neil Beck, a pompous yuppie plastic surgeon, played by Christopher Rich, a counterpoint to the working class patrons of the bar, like if Frasier was kind of sleazy. If you're a fan of George Carlin like I am, then I apologize if you watched this show. <laughs> we watched the pilot as well as season two, episode three, to get a sense of how the series evolves. And like, does it evolve? I don't, I, I would argue that it doesn't really evolve. But. I mean, uh, for me, I just feel like we picked a bad season two episode. Like, I can't. I, I, I liked the pilot a lot more than the second episode. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of felt like it was just a bad episode. Of yeah. TV. And when we get to talking about that one, I'll explain the reasoning why I chose that one. I did not know much about the plot of it when I picked the episode. Mm -hmm. I picked it based on who the writer was. And... Yeah, you're right. Like, it is hopefully not completely representative of what all the episodes are like. But we'll, we'll get to that one a little bit later. So let me tell you about what happens in the pilot. Season one, episode one, the pilot. We are introduced to George and learn very efficiently that he just got fired from his job driving a cab because he has a ponytail, which he refuses to cut. <laughs> because to him, it symbolizes sticking it to the man. We also learn that he owes a bunch of money to his friend Harry on account of Harry being his bookie and George losing several recent bets on sports. See, for our younger listeners, in the 90s, <laughs> sitcom characters placed bets with bookies in the criminal underworld rather than with apps on their phones. <laughs> Harry is going to take all of George's stuff, but then into the bar walks Dr. Neil Beck. He's a plastic surgeon who specializes in breast augmentation a fact explained through his interactions with waitress Sydney, interactions that ought to cause him to lose his medical license. George places a big bet with the doctor on a football game on the TV and actually wins enough money to pay back Harry. <laughs> Only the doctor doesn't have any cash on him and lets George hold his dog as collateral, which for some reason he has with him in the bar. Sorry, I forgot to mention the tiny dog. <laughs> George falls. He's a cute dog. He is a cute, a cute dog. Does the dog get recast? I felt like it was a recast. I didn't notice. It was a very similar dog, but yeah. it, you're right. It might not be identical. There was a coloring was wrong. Mm. Yeah. I was very <laughs> focused on the dog. Yeah, me too. It's a little terrier. 
wonderful dog actor. Yeah. Yeah. Best element in the show. Yeah. Uh, George falls in love with the dog, by which I mean the dog enabled him to flirt with a woman who owns a pet store. And when the doctor returns with the cash, he decides to keep the dog instead. And he cuts off his ponytail so he can get his job back and pay the money he owes that way and keep the dog. So there you have it. Very well summed up. Very well summed up. Good job, Aaron. (laughs) Uh, You know, I felt like the episode actually, you you said like efficiently sets up and I was like, yeah, I I got a lot of information about this character's life in this episode to the point where like, I was like, yeah, this sets a lot up. Yeah. It it doesn't feel too expository. It's just, it's efficient. It sets it up. And yeah, yeah, I mean, let's see. Well. What it, do we all want to comment on this? I don't, I don't uh, let's even start know. With the, let's start with the good. I mean, you know, Carlin's great. A lot of the material that he has to deliver is not, uh, which, you know, he's also he also co-wrote the pilot. So I don't know if I can give him full props, but he performs it all very well. Uh, yeah. You know, Carlin is Carlin as great of a stand up as he as he was. And he was absolutely one of the greatest if not the greatest stand-up comedian of all time uh he was always a great performer like he he always kind of slides into acting you know he never plays too far off off mark but he manages to be a capable performer and he's able to give just tiny bits of like pathos to what is uh, otherwise like a pretty shitty guy uh so he's good Alex yeah. Rocco's good, but yeah. when isn't he? Yeah. You know? Like they both, both of those guys, they just have a presence. Like they have, mm-hmm. like, it's like the perfect casting of a little, like they can really nail that kind crotchety, you know, kind of slimy guy, but that is also charming. Yeah. You know, like it's like, you know, they both have a very specific presence. And yeah, I think they really nailed it. Cast casting Alex Rocco as the you oh, know that was definitely a great a great choice. You know. From the little bit of research I did, it seems like it was you know as was typical of the time. A successful stand-up comic gets offered a sitcom. They try to build a show around them, and it sounds like maybe uh, Carlin was actually reluctant to do a sitcom. The initial plan was something more of a family show and he really didn't want to be like a dad character or something like that so they found a way to make a sitcom that he was willing to to take a swing at yeah which was one where the format you know like i kind of touch on this in my description uh gives him an opportunity to do the kind of stuff he does in his stand-up and kind of for an audience so the bar patrons are kind of his audience and he spends a lot of time riffing on life and his opinions on things for that pseudo audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, he plays kind of like, I don't know. It's weird because it's like, yeah, it's like he didn't want to play a dad, but famously he was a dad. Like he was, you know, (laughs) and and, it's, uh, you know, he plays like sort of like what someone who doesn't know anything about George Carlin could imagine him to be, I guess. You know, with his sensibility and his, mm-hmm. you know, curmudgeonly, you know, curmudgeonly's good presence. Yeah, it's like okay, he's obviously a single guy who's working class and is this and that, and like hangs around with like seedy people or people who are always, you know, gotta 
scam going or set like that's that's kind of like he's the yeah pers- he's playing his image he's yeah, playing he's his play, image. he's playing his image not his yeah. real you know you know it's his personality but mm-hmm. it's like an image that is more maybe stereotypical of what his personality yeah. would be and if, to the extent yeah. that like his stand-up comments on certain trends in america at the time that he was doing it it felt like the uh, the doctor character who's like a hard yuppie, like a like yeah. a Beetlejuice or Christmas Vacation yuppie, <laughs> you know, like a late eighties, well, 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 well turned, you know, yeah. that kind of character. Uh, you know, the endearing, likable version of this character is like Fraser and Niles Crane. This is like the worst version of that He's character. He's kind of like the doctor from Rachel Gar- Gun RN. Yeah, it's like I- I'm kind of fascinated, and I wonder if this is like a trope. Where there's a character that is like a doctor, like a professional, quote unquote, who hangs out with a lot of kind of no good nicks, you know, <laughs> like like that's kind of a yeah. fascinating potential trope for this well, era. I mean, he's a Fra- good, good, no good Fra- Nick, you know, he Fra- just Frasier. I know. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, but, but Frasier che- in Cheers is there's no reason for Frasier to hang out there. Exactly. Yeah. 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 He's and- just Frasier. And in Frasier, the show Frasier, they kind of bring his dad in to be, it's like the opposite. So cheers, Frasier's the odd one out as like uh, in the bar. In Frasier, his dad's the odd one out amongst the other characters. But it's that juxtaposition. And this show really felt like it's playing off that idea that like George Carlin, is his commentary is coming at the world from this more like... Blue, if you want to call it like blue collar working class yeah. perspective. And so they were kind of thinking like, well, what's the ultimate version of that? The ultimate version of that is he's a cab driver and he's up against people like this plastic surgeon. And to that extent, like it makes sense. Like there's a logic. To yeah. It. I mean, if there's a theme to both his humor and to uh, uh, and to the show, it's that we're all assholes. We got to be assholes together, but sometimes there's a bigger asshole. Right. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a good, <laughs> we need it. We need a way to explain that trope, the bigger asshole theory. The yeah. bigger, there's always a bigger fish. Yeah. 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 yeah totally. I hated that doctor character. I yeah, hated he, him. he was not. Yeah, he was the worst. They do a good job of setting him up to be hated. Yeah, like one of his like first lines is, "I couldn't help but notice your breasts," and then it then it's like revealed that he's a like a plastic yeah. surgeon who does implants, and like yeah. he's like he's like you know asks to like touch her real boobs. Yeah. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like he, he had one great line though in that little like his sales pitch uh, on giving her uh, uh, breast uh, augmentation, which was disgusting, uh, and I fucking hated it. But then, like, I know, des- I know the line you're yeah, gonna say. He's describing her breasts, and he goes, you know, and I really like the like the the different sizes. It gives them a really old world charm <laughs> and it's like, uh, it's that's like an funny. old world rustic charm an or something old world rustic charm and i was just like that's yeah that's a that's a fucking it's, good that's the, a good line yeah there's like yeah it's a really pervy you know they're a pervy bunch yeah like everybody every male in the show like they're all like as far as i can could tell 
they're all like these kind of pervy straight guys who like leer at yeah yeah you know and and the show dances a dance that's a little awkward around the idea that you know the point is it's set in this bar with a certain cast of characters where yeah if you think about it guys like that in the early to mid 90s in a bar yeah, like that they would be filthy would and probably gross. be yeah. this bad if not worse yeah but this- do you want to put that on tv you know apparently <laughs> they did so this is it's in it's interesting though because i know what they're doing i know what they're going for yeah because they know the characters they're writing and performing are all awful, right? Yeah. yeah. So this is the, you know, we talk about it a lot, but this is the Seinfeld, it's always sunny yeah. thing where you're, you're, the, the laughs are coming from knowing these people are terrible, but it's so weird because it's such, it's such a common style of comedy, but it's also so common to get wrong. Yeah. And I don't They got quite, it wrong, I think. Yeah. 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 They did. They, yeah. 100%. And I can't they, figure I out can't, why. No. I, I have one theory yep. as to a piece of why they got it wrong. I don't think this explains the whole story, but I think this yeah. is one aspect. Mm-hmm. One thing that I'm going to use It's Always Sunny as an example. That show does a good job of positioning its characters as villainous people. Like they are not, you're not hoping that to, things will work, that out, things for will work out for them. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like you're laughing at them because they are so foolish. And that show, does a good job of positioning all the characters as being that way. Mm-hmm. I think there's something about this show and it's hard to exactly describe how, but mm-hmm. it feels like especially George, but even other characters there are being treated in a, in a way that is sympathetic, that is different from those shows that succeed at this. Yeah. And I feel like one little indicator was the way that other patrons in the bar, this really happens in the second episode that we watch, where mm-hmm. other patrons in the bar actually applaud his behavior, things that he says and does that are like pretty terrible. Yeah. yeah They'll yeah. actually yeah. visually applaud like other people in the bar where it yeah. feels like he's the guy they're hoisting up on their shoulders as a hero. Whereas right. shows that succeed at this would never do that. They always have an outsider. In these other shows you've mentioned, there's always the occasional outsider that comes in and reminds everyone that, oh no, like they're antisocial, awful people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like George yeah. George gets gets shit on a lot. A lot, yeah. By 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 everybody outside of and including the main gang. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's always you know? somebody who comes in that is like kind of like the like represents who how the audience should yeah, be the viewing. antithesis of the characters yeah. yeah so and that doesn't happen there and it does happen sort of in the other the second episode we watch which we'll get into in the sense that what it's complicated once we explain the plot it'll become clear so you're supposed to see him. just do the second episode just yeah, do the just second get episode. into it just get into it that's the easiest way yeah. to talk about okay. it just before I describe the second episode, I'll say the one line that I genuinely really liked in the pilot, which I was hoping would set the tone for how the series evolves afterwards. But, you know, the second episode, which we'll describe, doesn't live up to this. I liked the way it ended where he cuts the ponytail and someone asks, how are you going to piss off the world now? And he says, guy with my experience, I can do that without a ponytail. 
And yeah, I thought, that like, was, yeah, there were some was, good lines. That there ties was, it into was, his stand-up. That yeah. ties it into his style. They're, they're talented people and they're talented writers. And it just, like I said, I know what they're, I know what they're going for and they're not nailing it. And, you yeah. know, I, I wish, mm. I, uh, you know, no hard feelings, <laughs> just not for me. Just not for me. Yeah, I mean, or I for have, anyone, really. Yeah. <laughs> I have some hard feelings about this second episode. I didn't really love this, yeah. you know. So the second episode, which is interesting, because I and, and Aaron will say with the connections and whatnot, this episode feels like uh, an, e- an episode of Seinfeld that they were like, no. We're not doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. So the second episode, um, you know, as is the case with many sitcoms, different episodes are written by different people. And as we were researching the show, we discovered that season two, episode three was written by a writer who wrote several episodes for Seinfeld, including the soup Nazi. And, you know, like you're saying, Barry, like episodes that walk a very fine line as far as how you can treat darker subject matter or like you know dark comedy in a sitcom and those several Seinfeld episodes that this writer wrote did a great job of walking up to that line looking over it and saying like I know where the line is and it's right here in front of me and this is a reject from that pile (laughs) Um, yeah yeah Yeah. so let me describe Season two, episode three, actually, because we wanted to see how the show evolved several episodes after the pilot, it was interesting to see which characters remain and how the dynamics exist. And we learned that Dr. Neil Beck has become a regular at the bar. It wasn't clear after the pilot that he was going to even be a recurring character. Well, especially because he didn't seem to care about it, that George got his dog as, yeah. a, as a pet owner. <laughs> I know. I was like, no, 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 no. That doesn't track. No. Especially yeah. as a pet owner who, like, probably loved that dog. He's taking the dog with him everywhere. Yeah. yeah. That's weird. But he did say, I don't like this dog very much. But it was never explained then why did he have the dog. Yeah, like, it, was, it was very weird, very weird. and very wedged yeah. in anyway. Yeah. There, was, there, was, there was a lot of things with that dog in that first episode where I was like, did shit get cut? Because, like, <laughs> George, we know that he kind of keeps the keeps the dog so he can keep going back and flirting with the the woman at the pet store. But the script implies that he's formed some form of connection with this yeah, dog, which that's never I, happens. I thought there should have been a scene. Yeah, you said that Yeah, to I was me. like, there's yeah. no, like, turn. Like, there's no there's bonding moment. It would have it would have ha- it would have really helped the character, too. Like, yeah. if they give him, like, a, you know, as good as it gets bonding yeah. with the dog thing. Like, maybe the dog... <laughs> like grabs something for him like grabs a magazine and brings it over to him and he's like oh that's Porn. you know yeah grabs, exactly, grabs, exactly. Or, or there you turns, go I wrote it for them you know there you go like, yeah. yeah even if you want to keep it dark and seedy at least have something to show that they're bonding <laughs> So back to yeah, the description, yeah. picking up from there, actually, we learn that George is still dating the woman from the pet store. So here we are like a good 20 episodes later or something, and they're a couple. Yeah, and sidebar, I really appreciated that she was uh, somewhat of a believable age of a love interest. Yeah. Because usually in this scenario, they're going to go for like a much like, it's always, like, a much younger woman, and certainly, I think her care, like, she was, like, a bit younger, but not, not a, mm-hmm. 
you know, she's in her she's in her forties and yeah. he's in his yeah. early fifties, like not twenty five. Yeah. Yeah. it's actually good. So yeah, um, and she was great, and they had really realistic chemistry like, and flirtation yeah. and chemistry. Susan Sullivan, okay. shout, yeah. shout out to her. Yeah. Sorry, she, sorry, Aaron, we're derailing. You're this. derailing I'm, this. Description. I know. I'm so sorry, you, Barry. You Aaron, wanted me Aaron. to describe. <laughs> you wanted me to go into the next episode and describe it, and now we're still talking about the plays Greg's mom and Dharma and Greg. By the way. Okay. Oh. Um <laughs> yeah, actually I did find the scene in the first episode where they met to be the most endearing scene in the pilot. Yeah. Cuz he's not creepy with her, which is very I mean, he's so, slightly creepy. Uh, slightly creepy, slightly creepy, but only like on the level that she is playing on the same level at least. Right. All right. Yeah. All right. All right, back no. to it. Back to it. This episode has two main plot lines, one for George and one for the bar owner, Jack and waitress Sydney. So first off, buckle up because this is going to be rough. George is looking at a nudie magazine. Uh, it's some sort of uh, catalog. Uh, it's like a lingerie, it was lingerie catalog. catalog. It was Pandora's Box, which Pandora's, is a yes. great name for a Victoria's Secret knockoff. True. Yeah, but it's a, it's Funny a, name. Um, I think it's a raunchier. The implication is it's a raunchier yeah. brand so, of lingerie because yeah. he wants yeah. edible lingerie. No, 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 right? crotchless. So crotchless he sees lingerie. an ad okay. for crotchless panties. He wants to buy a few pairs of these for his girlfriend, pet store Kathleen. He goes to drive a shift in his cab and his next fare is a blind man. He very deliberately takes advantage of the man, pretending to be stuck in horrible traffic and spending an hour on what should have been a very quick drive, squeezing well over a hundred bucks from the poor victim of this scam, enough money to buy the crotchless panties. Meanwhile, back at the bar, a liquor salesman comes by the bar peddling a brandy that tastes like crawfish. Their factory is apparently a former fish processing plant and it's stinking up their product. In typical sitcom logic, they're not going to clean or fix the problem. Instead, they're holding a contest and will give $5,000 to any bar that can figure out a cocktail that can help push this product. Mm -hmm. And Jack is game to give it a try. Okay, so now it turns out that the blind taxi patron was a television host in disguise and it was a sting operation to catch unethical taxi drivers. George's scam ends up getting exposed on TV and now he can't get any customers. He tells the TV host that he feels bad about it and will donate the money to charity. The TV host announces this on TV to make George look good again, like he's seen the error of his ways and he's a good guy now. But in the end, we find out that George was lying and spends the money on the crotchless panties anyway. Oh, and Jack creates a cocktail that doesn't actually contain any of this fish liquor, he pretends it does, but gets caught too and loses the contest. Um, but you missed uh, another main point, which is that a, a real blind woman gets into his cab. Recogni yes, recognize. Well, I, th I figured we'd talk about that as like, we discussed okay, the episode. All right. Like, let's get into but it. Sure. Yes. Uh, once he's exposed on TV as a horrible, as a horrible yeah. taxi driver. He's trying to do a shift. An actual blind woman gets in the cab, recognizes his voice, and then rushes to get out of the cab. And it's implied through sound effects that she runs into traffic and maybe narrowly avoids getting hit by a car. It's hard to tell for sure, but the implication, the implication is, is that it's 
bad. Bad. And it's just like I I was like, this is just beyond like offensive and mean spirited. Like I couldn't believe that they went there. Like it was, he did go too far. Yeah. The like, episode's called the show, George Goes Too Far. The show went too far. Like that was like question though. Yeah. What about when Jerry cheaps out or or when George cheaps out, who buys the the shoddy wheelchair and the, and the woman <laughs> right, gets hit by a you're bus. Right. Then, Why is that funnier? Well, it is. No, no, no. I yeah, and that's my thing. Is like it's very hard to deconstruct why it's different. It's delivery. There, there's it's it's delivery. It's the fact that it feel it still feels like. And again, the the patrons in the bar, right? Yeah. When it comes out on the TV in the bar, and everyone sees that he did this to one of his uh, cab fares. All these other people in the bar start defending George. Like, yeah, you're a New York City cab driver. It's your duty to screw people over. And, and like, there's about half, disabled they're about people split. Over. Half like, the bar is for him and split, half the bar yeah, is against him. But there him. are people in the bar who are applauding him, like yeah. literally applauding and clapping their hands. I just, I really had a problem with that beat with, with the woman. I really felt like they should have taken that opportunity to make her scam him. You know what I mean? Like, to be like, hey, if you don't give me a free ride or free, like, whatever, I'm going to go on the news and expose you or whatever. Okay, that's what it is. Like, it's like if George Costanza did something like this, yeah. it's not about whether he learns the error of his ways in the end and has some neat and tidy moral finish to the episode. It's more the fact that he doesn't end the story happy. George in the end of this episode is Carlin. Yeah. George Carlin. Yes, we gotta yeah. clarify here. O'Grady. Yes, <laughs> George O'Grady slash Carlin in the end of this yeah. episode is happy that he succeeded in buying the crotchless panties and everything you know came up in his favor and his buddies at the bar all celebrate him. Whereas yeah. in Seinfeld, George Costanza will do despicable things, not necessarily morally learn from it but he never ends he, the story happy and like he faces some sort of consequences at least yeah in the eyes of the like audience he doesn't learn but he does get fucked yeah, there's over no himself there's no lessons yeah. but there is comeuppance there's come yeah, up yeah, yeah, yes yeah, yeah, yes yeah. no yeah. lessons but comeuppance that's a good way to put it which was the right solve that's why you know like the seinfeld writers were top notch like, they actually Same thought guy. about these. I know, but here's <laughs> the thing. I feel like the standard of producing these episodes was maybe higher. So there was probably more oversight and more mm -hmm. like, you know. Um, well, we know that in Seinfeld, George is the surrogate for Larry David. Yeah. And the whole point of that character is he's kind of like, pure id in the sense of like he does these selfish things he says and does the things that we all kind of think but would never do because we have a filter or we have tact or we've like learned a conscience we have a conscience <laughs> he's yeah. but that there's yeah. there's an element to his behavior that is somehow relatable yeah and so you'll have this interplay presumably between people writing plots for the character that mm -hmm. kind of walk the edge but still pulling it back just enough to keep yeah. you wanting to spend time with this character and yeah. not, you know, hold him up as a hero. The point is never to say George Costanza is someone to emulate. 
Yeah. But you want to like see what hijinks he gets up to next and know that like no matter what, he is sad and miserable. Like he's well, not yeah. he's not it's, winning in life. Which is interesting because it's maybe one of the reasons why Curb doesn't do it for me is because I feel like George, Larry often does get, you know, I feel like on Curb, Larry is often caught out in things. And it's always like Larry is unfairly chastised as opposed to yeah, uh, George who really deserves it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Curb is the more pure distilled version of it, which is it, it can get obviously very cringy. There's different. Uh, I feel like we could do a whole hour of just talking about the various sub forms of cringe comedy. And I've always found it interesting without going f- too far into the weeds on that. That some people like certain types of cringy subjects and other yeah. people like other kinds. Yeah. And I know a lot of people who, you know, can't watch the kids Curb. Stole, kid, the kids stole the word cringe from us, by the way. We're not even allowed to use cringe anymore. Yeah, that's really? true. The kids stole it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't do Curb, but I can. I love the comeback, which is cringy, but it's cringy. Because that character is so awkward and yeah, so it's a different pathetic. kind of cringe. Yeah, yeah. and and it's we were ta- more like I can handle cringe when the character is kind of pathetic and dorky, but I can't handle it when they're like also doing bad right. things. See, yeah, like- we were talking about this recently, and I can handle Curb, but I find it harder to watch the comeback. Although I very much appreciate the show, I think it's a great show. Yeah. But it makes you uncomfortable. It makes me, no, it doesn't. And, it doesn't make me uncomfortable. Yeah. It makes me tense okay. because mm, because mm. she's uh, actually someone with a good heart, but she puts her foot in her mouth or she gets into these awkward yeah. situations. I'm just like, no, don't do that. Come on, you're you're better than this. But it's like whereas oh, that's with, interesting. Whereas that's with Curb, I'm more at ease because I'm like. He's a fool. He's acting like a fool. I'm enjoying what, laughing at him yeah. act like a fool. I don't want him to succeed. So whether yeah. it's George Costanza or the Valerie Cherish or the character Larry David, it's I'm more at ease because I'm not hoping that they're going to succeed. Whereas with Valerie Cherish, I'm like, come on. I just wanted to like, no, she, don't do that. Don't say that. You know how they're going to react to it. You're so out of touch. But it's like the thing with her is like, it's so... You know, it is cringy, but she ultimately does like succeed in a lot of ways. And like, it's a roller coaster ride. Yeah. You know, it's like a wild ride. It's too much emotional roller coaster for me. Yeah. <laughs> but overall, I anyway, have a very high tolerance for cringe comedy. I just feel like, you know, this wasn't quite a cringe show. This was like, we're supposed to like him and those people. That's and what it I is. Don't, yes. I don't think we are. I no, don't. no, I, well, okay. I don't think we are. Barry, I think, I think, I think they've miscalculated how obviously terrible they are. Yeah. I think yeah. they think, I think they think they're making Seinfeld. Okay. Right. Well, I think okay. you're both right in the sense that Barry is right that we're not supposed to be celebrating these characters. That's their intention. Yeah. But Bryn, you're right that there's something tonally about the delivery where it feels like, like when I was watching it, I felt like I'm supposed to be sympathizing with yeah, him. I, the fact that we're debating it yeah, is proof yeah. that they they didn't do it right. Some oh, note the, is off. The, Some the note execu- is off. The execution of this is all off. Yeah, it, it's, it, that is off. And then a lot of the jokes I felt, 
Like there were some genuinely funny jokes as we've identified. There was like even more, you know, sprinkled in here and there. But there were other ones that were clearly supposed to be big laughs, but they were just flat or awkward. So it just really felt like there wasn't enough, you know, talking about the as, as pretentious as this sounds, talking about the philosophy of the show. There wasn't enough of that established thing where they're like, okay, this is what we always have to guide our episodes by. Mm -hmm. This is like who these people Mm -hmm. are. This is, you know, this is what we always have to stick to. There's no, again, this is also going to sound pretentious, but there's no ethos there. Like there's no like, you know, and you know, even like, it just feels like it just wasn't like, there were no rewrites. It felt, it felt like it felt like it was just like, okay, they wrote these shows and just kind of shit them out. And mm-hmm. I don't know. And maybe it's because, you know, Sam Simon was like difficult to work with allegedly. And like he created a very hostile work environment. And May- like- well, maybe, maybe some of it was half baked because it wasn't an environment that was conducive enough to like yeah. talking through these concepts at great length and like really figuring Ooh. out how to make them work. So they yeah. kind of just went through the motions of like pump, pumping out content yeah. as yeah. opposed to like analyzing it as they go. Um, one of the or notes- maybe, that, Or maybe nobody's heart's in it. Or maybe, yeah, yeah maybe. And, and by the way, me saying that is like documented and Carlin himself yes. was relieved yeah. to be done with the show because it was so challenging working- collaborating with him closely yeah. like this is a known thing this is not me being inflammatory no. or <laughs> it's also a known thing that you know, sam simon admitted at some stage in his career that he realized he had tendencies to become toxic uh, a toxic person on on shows you know when once those shows were kind of off to the races and then yeah one of the notes that i wrote down as i was watching it was like it it felt like basically the george character is either too awful of a person or not awful enough for any of this to make sense. If he was somehow worse, like uh, Frank Reynolds in It's Always Sunny, Mm -hmm. then you would know we are not supposed to sympathize with him at all. And if he was better, like we had the theory after watching it, um, what if he used his scams and sort of general seediness to be more of a Robin Hood character, like to steal from the rich, so to speak. Like in that episode, instead of taking advantage of Mm -hmm. who he thinks is a blind person, find a way to take advantage of a rich yuppie. Like be consistent to the themes, like go back to his stand-up comedy and the first principles of what he comments on about the world. Uh, Yeah, I felt like this didn't represent his view of the world exactly like this didn't really it was just sleazy for the sake of sleazy Mm -hmm. and didn't in it like his specific perspective on the world wasn't kind of present it wasn't you know it would come out in moments but it wasn't consistently there yeah i think uh Maybe one of the things that uh, I think just sort of the bar being his audience, it was interesting that you mentioned that because, yeah, I do think it's one of the things where maybe uh, a change to that would have made this show sing a little bit more because honestly, why was the bar on his side? Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't that episode, like conflict is funny. Why, Why isn't it funny that he goes back to the bar, they all see that and they all hate him? 
That'd like, be way funnier. That's, that's the funnier version of that episode. The funny, there's no jokes in half the bar being like, and unless it's just cliche, like New Yorkers are terrible humor, which like, that's old. Or is the idea that this specific bar is just like a seedy world we're entering and we're all supposed to be on board with the fact that everyone in there is like a low life and everyone be, in there then be seedier exactly exactly, exactly. like is this yeah. bar supposed to be like sodom and gomorrah or something well, and like that's, what, and that's what know, always like, sun, and the... that's what always sunny is yeah, be yeah, wor- yeah. then be yeah. worse be so bad but they that also we never know had you're any bad. customers but don't <laughs> yeah. forget that yeah i mean the thing with sunny is sunny yeah. evolved right yeah like, also, it's ten years, ten years later, so two thousand and five yeah. versus ninety five or whatever yeah. this yeah. was, and in the beginning, like Sunny is always pitched as like them as just the worst people in the world, but in the beginning, they are semi relatable. Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. The, probably they lose it by the end of the first season, but they're not trying to to be terrible. Yeah, right? it took, it they took are terrible. Yeah, but they're not trying. I know Whereas, what you mean. Yeah, it by t- the time Frank rolls around, yeah, yeah, they're they're all terrible. It took time for that show to find its footing, and once you realize that like Dennis is a full blown psychopath, and and these are but that's ne- yeah, maybe three seasons in before Dennis yeah. Dennis's tendencies come in, right? Yeah, and that's why I hoped. I guess the pilot for this show was not great, but mm-hmm. it had just enough potential. That I thought, oh, it would be interesting if season two, episode three is like evolved in a good way. And Mm -hmm. it kind of takes this even I wasn't expecting it to be amazing, but I thought it would be better. But it went in the opposite direction where it felt like trying to find those correct emotional notes to make this funny. They were further from finding those notes. it It got meaner between seasons. And I think that. I could see that being a retool because, you know, they only did two short seasons, right? So presumably they got the second season with the notion of, okay, let's try this again and see if it if it works. Uh, And I'm sure maybe they were like, what's working on TV today? Mean stuff's working. Let's try that harder. And then by the time they get to that, you know, we're into just mean for the sake of mean. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also. From a writing standpoint or a performing standpoint, the the I hesitate to say this, but not really. The him ripping off the blind person, very unfunny, but also presented very unfunny. Like, yeah, I think maybe it might have had some laughs if we if we didn't see that he was really ripping this guy off until we're watching the footage later. If we only oh, yeah, see that's a good it point. looks like a regular ride cuz we're not seeing anything. Yeah. Right. And then we see the footage and we see all the all the like, shit. You and I'm hear, like, yeah. first you hear, okay, he made all this money on one fare. Yeah. And then it becomes obvious why when the news thing comes on and it's You know, like, and he's yeah. we got him like he's honking the horn. He's like, "Hey buddy, get out of the way." And then in the footage we see there's nobody there you're right you know, you're right or, like they, they immediately show the yeah. pov shot where you see there's no actual traffic that yeah. could have been saved to be yeah. a payoff way later yeah or they show or they show him driving into the parking lot he's clearly just gonna drive around in circles in there yeah mm-hmm. but we don't see that but what if we saw like 
news footage of like maybe they're following him in a in a in a news van and we're seeing some of this stuff like come on yeah and and like the thing about yeah i don't know a lot of it didn't make any sense he went goes into the parking garage at one <laughs> point and it's like you would know just by hearing the difference yeah that you're he in buys, a parking garage. Yeah, he buys a souvlaki. Yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And like, yeah, like you're you're telling me that the that this blind guy is he he conceivably thinks that this guy doesn't realize that he's buying and eating a souvlaki. Yeah, you're gonna smell that. You're gonna hear him chewing and making a mess and like it's it's it's. W- ridiculous it's very ridiculous and it's such a long scene yeah it's long oh, it's, it's long. long and like stupid it's just it's not taste poorly like, you know it's like a a joke that's in poor taste that's not even done well you know like and it's I, just I, and i think bringing back to my because you know the the seinfeld wheelchair incident i think that's the thing i think mean humor works sometimes because it tickles a little part of us the mean side of us that we don't really want to engage yeah. in but only if it's funny. Right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I just like yes. when I see anything where it's like it's something like this, I'm like, it is punching down. Like, I don't yeah. like. There's something about it, it just... in, you know, in Seinfeld. We It was somehow whether it was because yeah. his dad was genuinely trying to help that charity or like there was something about the way they stuck the delivery that it was obvious that. It was mean to show that George is capable of being mean or like a selfish prick. George isn't necessarily mean. He's just cheap or cheap, <laughs> but like willing, willing to be so cheap that he doesn't really care about how the consequences affect others. Yeah, basically. But that is a pattern with George. That's it's how his, his fiance I, dies. I, like, <laughs> I do like I do like Bryn's idea about having. Uh, the blind woman scam George. I actually yeah. think that that might have been a really nice button on that. Yeah, yeah, like blackmailing him. He'd be like, "Okay, well, I'm just gonna go to the mm. news and tell them that you're at it again, unless you know." Yeah. You know what it is? That's what it is. George, or like he's 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 at like a blind woman gets in and he's like immediately the best behavior possible. Like he is being a hilariously upright version of himself. And then you get to the end of the ride and she's like, by the way, I know who you are and I'm going to tell the news that you were terrible unless you like, yeah, unless yeah. you, do- yeah. And skips out on paying, obviously, yeah. and stuff like that. Like, I'm going to just take free rides. And that's what it me, is, yeah. is it's like George Costanza is not smart. And the problem with George O'Grady is that he's positioned as this clever guy who manages to pull one over on other people over and over. and that thing of him confessing that he feels bad to the guy from TV and says he's going to donate the money, but then he still just uses it to buy crotchless panties. It ends the episode on this note of like, look, he can still keep pulling one over on other people and and he's winning each round. And it's like, you don't yeah. want to see that. We want to see someone else beat him at his own game. I Yeah, I, I found it very interesting. This is like a sidebar, but like to see an episode like this where it's kind of like the the first version of exposing people online like you know like those hidden camera shows no these no these news things were going crazy there's a reason why this was 
happening. This was like a, a trend thing in the nineties. On nineties, yeah. You know? But before you could film someone in public and put it on TikTok, there were these hidden camera things, and that was like the first. Well, you Brynn, know, first, you, first you have to explain what what broadcast television is to some of these people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is well, like you see, you tune yeah. your TV to a number. This is like at the, a certain time yeah. of day and only at a yes. certain time this of is, day. This is like the yeah. This is like the '90s version of someone being canceled. You know. Because they were exposed <laughs> publicly for being bad and whatever. You know, this is like the old, old school version of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's like George Carlin's stand-up comedy is all based on, like, he's a smart stand-up comic who does very smart political satire and commentary on the world. And he does it from a certain perspective. And at the end of the day, this show just did not feel like it was really of that world. Yeah, it's funny. Like, after we watched these episodes, I watched the the Judd Apatow documentary about him. Okay. And I was like, oh, Mike, he is like, you know, I knew he was a big deal, obviously. And I'd mm -hmm. seen him in, like, movies and television growing up. Like, I'd seen him in, like, like the first things I think I were... I remember seeing him in were like the Kevin Smith movies and stuff like that. Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted, yeah. And uh, but I didn't like know his comedy. I knew that he was famous for that act, the seven seven like, dirty words dirty, you can't say on dirty television. Dirty words you can't say. Like I knew that that was like his famous thing, but like I just like didn't know about his backstory. I didn't even know he was Irish, and like you know, like I didn't know anything about him. And then I like watched the uh documentary and i was like wow he's like way better than this dumb sitcom he was in <laughs> like he was you know I, and i i don't hesitate in saying it i do think he was uh, he was the greatest stand up comedy of all time yeah. i really do i think it would be a hard it would be very yeah. hard to think of somebody who was yeah. better he's certainly up there in the top few unquestionably and and had a lot of influence on comedians that came after him and actually, like, fun fact, I read that when this show was canceled, this is, uh, I'll paraphrase, but he told this in some interview, that when a network executive told him that the show was getting canceled mid-season, he thanked them because he, <laughs> didn't, he didn't want to be forced to even finish that season. He was happy to get out of this yeah. show. And because of that and because yeah. of like the Sam Simon. Thing. Yeah. Like, for, it is, for, like, for a variety of reasons. Variety of reasons. It wasn't working for him. And uh, but he also mentioned that like coming out of working on this show, he had amassed lots of ideas written down that had not been used in the show that he realized he could put in a book. And the cancellation of this show helped lead to his literary career, which arguably is like the the biggest renaissance and best part of yeah. his career as a comedian was when he got into writing books and yeah. doing some very intelligent commentary about the world in books. So like, and yeah. the things that he's most proud of. So, well, you know, the thing is, you know, he had control over that, and he had control yeah. over the message, quote unquote, in his standup and in his books and in all of that. He could just, you know, he yeah. didn't have to like make any executives happy. He didn't have to collaborate with others and like 
Mm-hmm. You know, stroke other people's egos. He could just do his thing and share his kind of perspective and his yeah. whole Speaking thing. Speaking of which, yeah. I, I forgot to mention this one other quote, like in the pilot. Yeah. This was one of the things that I was hopeful would be like a bigger presence in the show, which is where he's talking to his friend played by Rocco, who's asking him, you know, why doesn't he just cut the ponytail so that he can keep his job? And There's a line where he says, aren't docile conformist sheep considered ideal employees in America? (laughs) And (laughs) and I thought, like, that's Carlin's voice. Like, that's that's him coming out. That's the kind of thing coming out that he would do in his stand up. Mm -hmm. But and and in those scenes where he's like with his friend at his apartment or where he's at the pet store with the woman that he meets there, those were decent scenes. But all the stuff in the bar felt so off tone. I just didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be in that bar. Yeah, no, actually, that's I had a very similar thought. Actually, um, I think the show might might have worked better if 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 it was him and Alex Rocco had like they were really good friends, but if they had like a Jerry George relationship where a lot of it was just them talking back and forth, mm-hmm. that might have worked a little bit better. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. There could have been a version of this that worked. Yeah. Um, um, Car, you, it's funny you mentioned the him in the Kevin Smith movies because for some reason I was just like, oh yeah, he was. And then I remembered, so yeah, very funny in Dogma, funny in the Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. That man is really, really good in Jersey Girl. Oh, thank you for saying that. I love Jersey Girl. I love I, Jersey Girl too. Yeah. yeah I think yeah. it's an underrated movie and he's yeah. phenomenal in it. Like he, he is. is he like, has he's, such heart. He has such heart. It is just, yeah, it is uh, anyone out there who hasn't seen it, give it a watch or rewatch it. You know, it is like a pretty endearing movie. It is so weird. And I think it holds up. How lambasted it was just for being like a very good version of just like, you know, a fairly simple romantic drama. Uh, like parenthood uh, about fatherhood like yeah it's funny because you know at that point people were like oh we just want another kevin smith movie but now i mean that's the last thing that people out there seem to want so it's like (laughs) what do you want from the guy like when he tries to change you didn't you didn't love yeah yeah in case anyone's unaware he plays like ben affleck's dad yeah. In in Jersey Girl and like the grandfather and like it it's just a very sweet Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's him. He's crotchety old yeah. crude at times him, but he's like this grandpa and he's like a working class guy and he's like, you know, trying to help his son get his life together and then also help raise the granddaughter. It's very it's it's very, very sweet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, you know what we didn't mention? What? The crayfish. Or the crawfish. The crawfish. Ugh. Oh, I, Ugh. I, got, I got a few leftovers here All on the right. whole crawfish thing. Um, I, I love that actor. Always have. Right. Yeah. Fake Kramer. Yeah. So one thing was <laughs> that joke. It's rare that something catches me so off guard, like a, a joke in a sitcom where I just out loud shout, wow. And not because it's like, especially, it, it, maybe it's funny, maybe it's offensive, maybe it's gross, maybe it's what, there's different ways to read it. I don't know what they were trying to accomplish with this, but the old women sitting at the table 
ordering <laughs> drinks and oh boy. the slightly salty flavor joke that was genuinely shocking well yeah. you can't just say that you have to say the joke yeah 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 so these two so okay so to backtrack they are trying to find a cocktail to make with this crawfish brandy that will sell these two older women come are in at the bar at just, the bar sitting at a yeah. table they ask for a cocktail. They want the waitress to recommend something. They say they only drink once a year on Liberace's birthday. And the waitress asks them if they would like to try a cocktail that's slightly salty. <laughs> and... With the salt, salty flavor. What was yeah. <laughs> anyway. Or do you think he'd like something? Do you think he'd like something with a slight, li slightly salty flavor? Yeah, and they it, say, it, he I heard Liberace. that he did. Yeah, yeah. I heard that he did. Yeah. yeah. But the way she delivers it, it's a very good delivery, yeah. but it's also like, oh my God. So I, like, I liked it. I just, yeah, I was like, that, I can't believe that got past the censors. Like, I <laughs> I've, I've never seen a I network I, show with a joke like that. I yeah. beg you to I beg I beg you to tell me what the censor could actually say cuz you they it's not it's not it's not implicit enough. Yeah, That's yeah, the whole yeah. thing. You yeah. can slide that in there cuz yeah. then the censor has to explain it to you. Yeah. And they're not right. going to do that. Yeah. You're right. Yep. That's how They'll they slipped one job. past the goalie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um but also uh, the thing where they cut into close-ups of the weird comic strip on the side oh, of the liquor bottle. Oh, that was so awkward. Great production design. Like, they put way too way too much work into that, that yeah. little comic. The, the first time they did maybe it. Maybe that's why they showed it so long is because they yeah. were like, oh, God, maybe. we got to make a mo meal of this. The first time they did it, I thought that's good. I thought the same thing. That's good production design and pretty unusual that a sitcom would actually bother to cut into an insert shot with that level of detail. The second time they did it, I was like, really? This is a thing that you're going to do in this show? You're kidding, right? <laughs> yeah, it was very awkward. It's, a, it's, a, it's okay. So to explain, each bottle of this brandy that has a crawfish flavor undertone which again is something that it's not supposed to but because yeah, of but a, yet the marketing yet the marketing yeah. does lean into so it the factory yeah. is contaminated with this yeah. flavor but they just lean into it they create a mascot character who shows up at the bar wearing this outfit this big crawfish this cr giant crawfish and yeah. but the side of each bottle has a is cartoon it a crawfish or is it a crawdad or are those the same thing? I think those might be. I think crawdad might be slang for crawfish. They also say they also say all three in the episode. They say crawfish, crawdad, yeah. and crayfish. So who knows? It's some crustacean. Nobody was. <laughs> nobody was. Nobody was correcting anyone. Yeah. I mean, I I ate it once in a in a dish at a restaurant in St. Louis, and it was delicious. Oh, okay. But um, in yeah, any case, great. very weird choices with that whole. So you've got the A story with George in his taxi that is very mean spirited. And then you've yeah. got the B story, which is just very strange and feels like just jammed in there as this weird plot construct. Yeah, but the crawfish is played by Larry Hankin. <laughs> which is funny. I did like seeing him. And it did supply And he doesn't even try to be a mascot. He's just like a grumpy man in a in a giant 
drawdad costume who just like just gets drunk in the bar and yeah. then they don't and then they leave him there because he's clearly terrible yeah yeah oh and uh there was one line in the episode i forgot to mention that is the most seinfeldish line of dialogue in the whole show which is um when his friend What's I'm trying to remember. What's his name played by Alex Rocco? What's the the character's name? I don't Harry, know. Harry. Sure. So his friend Harry is making fun of the fact that the news reporter uh, managed to hook him with this sting operation, and uh, because this guy is apparently on TV all the time, and he says like, I'm like, how did he not like, recognize him? How did you not him? recognize yeah. him? You've seen you've seen his show on TV, and. George says he had on sunglasses and Harry says he had on sunglasses. What are you, Lois Lane? <laughs> yeah, that's a fun. And that was the most Seinfeld, Seinfeld joke. joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Maybe uh, they recycled. Maybe that was from the cutting room floor of a of a Seinfeld uh, writing session, and they just nabbed it. For yeah, that. that's that. That would be the thing where George would would not recognize yeah. someone, and Jerry would say, "What are you, Lois Lane?" Yeah. Okay. So, um, Bryn, are you able to connect the George Carlin show? With friends, I am by in several different I scenarios. I just, I just did like thirty seconds ago. Yeah, so <laughs> so there's two immediate first like one degree connections. So there's uh, Mike Haggerty who played Frank McNamara, uh, plays Mister Trigger, the super uh, from the building on Friends. So, yeah, so he's like an ongoing character. He's kind of like in and out of friends, but he's in like a yeah, few episodes. Probably has like five or six appearances, yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. So he's the kind of eccentric super. Um, yeah. All right. And then, of course, we have uh, Larry Hankin, who plays the crawfish, crawdad, whatever you want to call him. He also plays um, the cranky upstairs neighbor in friends and his name Mr. Heckles. Mr. Heckles. Yeah. And then we have like a few other um connections. One like you might recall from our other episodes where we talk about Alex Rocco. So Alex Rocco um who plays Harry Rossetti in the George Carlin show also starred in Sibs, you may <laughs> recall. Uh with Dan Casta Castellaneta and Evan Handler. Good save. Who both uh guest starred on Friends. Better you than me. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then Christopher Rich. He this one is a bit of a longer one, but basically he co-starred uh on Murphy Brown with Faith Ford. Faith Ford was in the series Carpoolers with um Irene White and Rebecca Romaine who both guest starred on Friends. So that's a three degree connection. So yeah, like there's like all kinds. There's probably awesome. there's probably even more than that, honestly. Like this is, this, uh, the George, George Carlin show is like full of people who were very prolific. Like I, I was going to go through writers and all that, but I was like, nah, I'm not gonna, I could go down a rabbit hole. Like there's probably tons and tons of connections that are like four degrees or less. Yeah, a lot, lot of great people worked on this yeah, show. Absolutely, I think that was one of the like disappointing things is that 
with this many great actors and writers and with the the serious potential of George Carlin's stand-up oeuvre that, you know, it just wasn't, I think, what we hoped it would be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, and then it, obviously the segue is perfectly to the spinoff. Boom, there you uh, go. Yeah, so... You know, I'm not going to go through everybody because, again, they're all like heavy hitters. You know, everybody, you could go through the IMDb list and see all these credits. But literally, like this show really didn't slow anyone down. Um, Everybody just kept working. They kept doing their thing and kept like, you know, the only person that didn't really do much after this. And who knows why it could have been by choice. But it was Paige French who played Sydney Paris, Um, you know. She very well could have just pivoted away from acting um, like because she didn't really do much after the 90s. Uh, and then, of course, like Sam Simon, he kind of got out of the spotlight because of various reasons. Um, but yeah, like I'd love to just focus on our friend George Carlin mainly. Um, so after the George Carlin show ended, that obviously didn't end his career. He still had millions of avenues to kind of go down. But as far as TV was concerned, he continued his prolific run as the narrator on Shining Time Station, which is like a very fun little <laughs> aspect of his career. So he played like, like, you know, he's credited as the narrator, but also like the Mr. Engineer. So he's always like that voice that kind of like takes you through, uh, you know, all the the Thomas the Tank Engine content that existed up until I did not know this. You didn't know this? Oh man! You know who? You know who? You know who? One of the other ones was who? Ringo Starr. Oh, amazing! What? <laughs> so I don't know. Like it's so funny because our nephew is like really into Thomas the Tank Engine, and I don't know who is like if if it's new stuff that they're making, and if there's someone else who's doing it. I got to look into this. But it was George Carlin for like decades and decades. Huh. Um, yeah. And so a as we mentioned already, he kind of had like a fun, you know, collaboration and relationship with Kevin Smith. He was in like three of his movies. Um, and that's kind of I think like how, again, like a lot of like elder millennials kind of discovered him was like in the early 90s movies he did certainly. But then like. You know, a it's got to be Bill and Ted. It's well, got to be Bill and Ted, Ted. But like, honestly, we were kind of young to even see Bill and Ted. I feel like it wasn't like Bill I don't and know. Ted was huge for me growing up. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I, that's just like not where my George Carlin references come from. But yes, obviously he was in Bill and Ted. Um, he also did other. Both Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he so he also did other uh, voice work for animated like features like Tarzan 2 and cars and like video games like he did yeah tons and tons of voice work which was very smart great you know? voice it's great a great voice, voice. Um, and then obviously there are the other aspects of his prolific career that we already touched on so like after this point in the 90s, he was like, I'm not going to star in sitcoms. Like, what am I thinking? I'm just going <laughs> to pivot back to where I belong, which is like doing his own content, like his own uh, stand up. Like he headlined in Las Vegas up until 2004. And this is like a fun trivia where he basically told his audience at the MGM Grand to, to blow him. 
among other things. Like he lashed out at the audience. Whoa. And so he lost that residency. But again, that didn't slow him down. Like he did seven HBO specials between 96 and 2008, his death, the year of his death. Um, he wrote five books. He released five comedy albums. Like he just, you know, he was always, always working and always recognized as, you know, an important figure. And I think, you know, that was the secret sauce for him was just to be, you know, use his own voice and have control over things and only work with people that would truly like let him do his thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Or, you know, just harmless kids content. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I don't know, I don't know how much Cars was really. <laughs> I know, but how fun is that, just, right? Just go nuts, George. Just go nuts. Like maybe, <laughs> like I don't know. Like he has one daughter, Kelly Carlin, and I don't know if she has any kids. Like that would be kind of funny if, like, you know, she he has grandkids, and he's like, ah, I gotta do something for the grandkids or something. I think you but... do. I think I think you just take the Disney money when it comes. Yeah, I guess you just take that money. You take yeah. that that sweet Disney money, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, that's all I got. Well, I think it's about time we check in with our old friend, Mr. Producer. Believe it or not, I actually had to schedule this call. Hello, Mr. Producer? Uh, hello, Mr. Yaga. This is Raleigh Prince Jeffries. I'm Mr. Producer's personal assistant. Have you scheduled for a 15 with Mr. Producer? Uh, yes, uh, that's right. Hello, Ra Raleigh. Nice to meet you. What happened to Jody? Now, that is a name that we do not say in this office. I beg you to remember that when talking to Mr. Producer. <laughs> okay, sure. Of course not. I have Mr. Producer standing by. He has a 15-minute window until his next appointment, at which point, if your business has not concluded, I will promptly terminate the connection. Okay. And remember, Mr. Yeager... Do not mention Jody. <laughs> of course. Mr. Producer, I have Mr. Yeager of When Was the Show on the line. Hey, kid, that you? Hey, Mr. P, it's great to hear your voice. What happened to Jody? Barry! Jody! That no good son of a bitch! He's dead to me! Dead! Guy took a job with my fiercest competitor, Mr. Associate, who don't let the family name fool you, has never had a credit above line producer. And it'll be a cold day in Sandusky before I ever does in this town. That's not a real saying. So, kid, what's jangling these days? Oh, not too much. New Year, just recording the season premiere of That Was a Show. Season premiere? This thing actually, uh, airing on something? Well, I mean, not exactly, but... Good, 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 good. You let me know when it does. I, uh, I may need you to go back into the archives and listen to some. I feel like it's possible I may have talked out of turn about a few people in the business. <laughs> have I ever mentioned anyone named Matt Bop? <laughs> well, well, yes, you have, but we can't, we can't exactly go back and... And when I did, was it in the present tense? I mean, I don't think so. Ah, good, good, good. Uh, because he is definitely dead and most certainly not living under an assumed name in Biz Coda. Maybe we should edit some of this. Sure. So, what's with the new strict personal assistant? Ah, really? A good chap. Bit high strung for sure. Well, like I mentioned on our last call, big things are happening for me. Oh, really? Ah, uh, yeah, and I can't lie. I think some of it is thanks to you. 
How so? Well, you know, talking to you guys about the old days kind of got the old uh, pickle brine flowing, you know? <laughs> Enough to write that book. And guess what? People are reading it. And I have a show going again. What? That's right, Mr. Producer's back, baby! Well, what's the show? Well, well, you know, that's all coming together still. I mean, we're in early stages. In fact, I'm meeting with the head of Dr. Art Studios later today. And we're going for lunch at Malcolm Sorensen's Delicatessen. You know, over on McQueen and Trent. I don't even know what city you're in. Right now, we got a title. Oh, can I ask what? That's it. What's it? Oh, that's the title. That's it. Oh. Well, that doesn't really tell you much. I mean, it could be anything. No, no, no. Hal Stevenson's already got a full season pickup for anything. Well, I better cut us off for today. I just wanted to check in with you and the others, since a lot of this is thanks to you. And yeah, Raleigh, he's kind of somebody that the studio sent over to maybe keep me in line. I do have a tendency to kind of misuse time and maybe go off on some tangents every now and then. But, uh... I thought maybe I'd give you guys the exclusive access to the behind the scenes of my new show as it happens. Oh, well, thank you. That's very kind of you. Until next time, kids. Mr. P. Well, I really, you know, like he really turned his back on Jody. But uh, I guess Jody turned his back on him. I guess right. I'll be excited to uh, hear about his evolving new TV project. As will I. As will I. Well, this was fun. We had a lot of laughs. But, but some, some things, things some are things no are no laughing, laughing matter. matter. <laughs> Do you have any leftovers, Aaron? He already did his leftovers, like out of order. I don't think I have any other leftovers, no. I mean, I'll just say as a leftover, I really didn't understand why the ponytail was such a big deal at the beginning. I thought his ponytail was epic. I really thought it was like it was like this weird like braid slash ponytail thing. Yeah. And it, We're, you know. I can't remember if ponytails were like really contentious in the mid 90s. <laughs> yeah. it, felt, it felt like more of an 80s thing. But on yeah. the other hand, I'm a little far removed from it. Maybe yeah. maybe people really hated ponytails on men in the 90s. Yeah. Honestly, there were a lot of jokes in this show that felt like they were coming out of the 70s or 80s and mm -hmm. had somehow been like wedged into this mid 90s show. You know, Travolta had a ponytail in Pulp Fiction. Was that cool or dorky? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We weren't adults at the time. What would we no. know? No, we were not. I've had <laughs> pony I've had ponytails in my life. Why I know are, you have. What are what aren't you guys telling me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad we watched this show even though it was Kind of a disappointment. Yeah. Uh, we had talked about eventually delving into the George Carlin show for a long time. Obviously, he has a big presence in the history of comedy, so it made yeah. sense that eventually we would do it. And what better place to start our third season than on a yeah. theoretical heavy hitter? I would say yeah. of George Carlin content, just don't watch this show. Like, just watch, you know, his stand-up and watch yeah. the documentary and watch... Thomas the, and Friends and <laughs> Shining Time Station. Yeah, go check out Shining Time Station. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Until next time. Until next time. Next time on That Was a Show. Based on the 1995 indie Sundance hit of the same name, 
Christine Taylor plays Mary, struggling to make a living amidst her fast-paced lifestyle in the New York City club kid culture, where she hosts underground parties with her best friend Derek, played by John Cameron Mitchell. She gets a job in a library, but can she prove herself as mature and responsible? Can she learn the Dewey Decimal System? Bryn, Aaron, and Barry wander through the aisles, find 791.45GIR, and research why this party flopped. <laughs> Let's go ahead and cut to those credits. <laughs> that Was a Show is created and hosted by Bryn Burney, Andrew Barry Helmer, and myself, Aaron Yeager. It's a production of Radio Gizmo in Toronto, Canada. Subscribe, rate, review, and share. Follow us on Instagram and tell your friends about it. That was a show. Radio Gizmo.